and welcome to Under the Covers, the podcast from Westminster Libraries. I'm Anne Carroll. With me today is David Wilkins, who is Westminster City Council's Head of Smart City Programmes. David will be talking about how digital innovation is being used to improve the lives of residents, business people and visitors. Key to this is creating fantastic connectivity with measures such as providing free and seamless Wi-Fi, tackling data poverty, building confidence and conducting training. It's a big job which could be all-consuming, but as David will share, it is possible to get the right work-life balance. Hello, David. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. So, Let's kick off with the books. I think you have some really thought-provoking books to share with us. Is that right? I'll kick off with my first book choice, which was Invisible Woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this book is really important to me. I work in the data world, tech world, and something that we really need to be mindful in that space is around unconscious bias. And the hot topic of the day at the moment is very much around AI. What AI is based on is historic and past data. And if we have data gaps, that will manifest itself in the technologies and the solutions that we build. So I found this book really insightful at actually understanding what some of these data gaps are so that I can be mindful of that in my role in developing solutions. The subtitle is Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. And it's that discrepancy, isn't it? Something as simple as seatbelts are designed to contain men, not women. So it can be something quite simple as well, can't it? So the seatbelts are based on the data from crash tests. And the form and shape of a crash test dummy is based on the average male form. So the way seatbelts are designed are for the male form. And the unintended consequence of that is if you're a female, you're less likely to survive a car accident. But there are some other ones that kind of manifest itself in technology as well. A lot of the training data sets for voice recognition are trained on male voices, tools like voice recognition are more likely to understand you if you're a male and you're more likely to be misunderstood if you're a female. So there's loads of these examples that unless you kind of expose yourself to this book or or this type of information, you're potentially designing solutions that really do favour one portion of society. And typically that is men. Mm -hmm. So I found it really insightful. Another book that I've really enjoyed, Mm -hmm. and that book is by Dr. Peter Attia. And it's called Outlive. And it's very much looking at what are the things that you want to be able to do when you're 100 or in your last kind of decade in your life. And it's about being ambitious in those goals. So it could be still being able to play a round of golf, 18 holes of golf at 100. And it's basically working back from some of those goals to ensure that you have really good health. So if I wanted to play golf at 100, I'd need to have good flexibility, good cardiovascular fitness and a level of strength. And it's about how do you ensure that your body has that base? Because you you will have a natural decline. But if you have a good foundation, that natural decline will still enable you to perform what you'd like to do. So it's all about how you can optimize the last decade of your life. Everyone is investing in pensions. And I had a realization that I need to invest equally in my health so that when I retire 
yes, I can support myself financially, but equally, I still want to be able to enjoy the final decades of, of our life. I'm very scientific. I'm very analytical in the kind of books that I read. And I found it a really fascinating book. It gives you things that you can take away in action in your life to actually help you achieve some of those long-term goals. Wow. It sounds like a real blueprint. I think you might have one more book that you want to squeeze in. Is that right? The final book was Prisoners of Geography. And what interests me about this book is it provides a, a political lens on geography. Obviously, we're going through huge amounts of conflict at the moment. So we have the war in the Middle East. We have the war in Russia and Ukraine. What this book tries to kind of explain is some of the geopolitical tensions that potentially aren't covered within the media. And it also talks about how some countries have been able to thrive. And typically, it's not because of the people it's not because they're doing something different it's about the geography that they're in so Europe the UK we have thrived due to it's very difficult to invade an island so we've had long periods without conflict and invasions we have fantastic waterways rivers and um, that enable the transport of goods we also have the ability to have ports that are, are not frozen they're really accessible and we're really connected as a country it looks at the geography of a place and how that makes them uniquely placed. It focuses on different countries, different continents, and tries to explain it in an unbiased and, and neutral standpoint, and found that really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that's the word that keeps coming back, doesn't it? Fascinating. They all do sound really, really good. So thank you so much for those recommendations. I'm sure they'll go down well. But now switching to this job, you've got this very big job getting Westminster really connected. How are you going about that? I'll just take you on a little story. So I started Westminster about eight years ago. I love statistics, so I'll share with you some statistics. Within Westminster, we were 638, I believe, out of 650 parliamentary constituencies in a report called Broadband, which basically ranked local areas on broadband availability. And if you were to look at that league table and where Westminster appeared, places like in rural Scotland and Wales appeared higher in those league tables. And one that really struck me was the local area where Snowdonia, the mountain, sits, had better superfast broadband availability. It has changed. Westminster now is one of the most connected places in the country. If you look at full fibre availability, I think last time I checked, we're around 81%. And that compares really favourably to London, UK and England levels. So we have significantly better connectivity than London as a whole. We've achieved that by really understanding the barriers and started to kind of create the right conditions for the market to invest We've had a number of different initiatives. So as a council, we own around 20,000 properties and we have full fibre into 97% of those properties. If you're in a council-owned property, you're more likely to have full fibre than if you're in any other stock within the borough. But we've also done huge amounts of work to support our businesses. Back in, in 2016, when I started this journey, I have anecdotes of businesses cycling around data on bicycles instead of using the broadband infrastructure because it wasn't reliable enough. We had a project running for a number of years to help our small SMEs get connected to full fibre. 
And over the course of a few years, we connected over 900 small businesses. What we saw, huge amounts of turnover growth. The costs for them to operate also reduced because they were able to kind of make things more efficient with technology. That improved connectivity has enabled vulnerable people to continue working, even through the kind of height of the pandemic. That's a flavour of some of the initiatives. Yeah, there still are, and there probably will continue to be people who are either a bit scared of the digital world or they're just not interested. What message would you have for those people? I think you've definitely hit the nail on the head. Some people don't understand the need. Or if you look at the news around hacking and cybersecurity, it can be very scary. But I guess it's about understanding what the individual is interested in and how technology can enable them to kind of pursue some of those passions. If they have a passion for gardening, how can we introduce them to content that they're interested in? I can remember spending time with my grandma and she was fascinated when I showed her Google Maps and she could see the different areas that she grew up in and see what they're like now. Mm-hmm. One of the things you're directly trying to tackle is data poverty. What does that mean to people? How does it affect them? Before I answer, I'll just go into a, a little bit about my understanding of data poverty and what I see as data poverty. So we did quite a lot of user research at the start of our digital inclusion journey. And something we found was there were lots of households that broadband or connection that they had was based on a single phone. And that single phone was being used to support that whole household. So it supported kids with homework. It supported parents of work. So there was really a lack of connectivity. And what that led to was people's phone contracts weren't sufficient for everything that they were doing through that device. What that led to was for the start, people had adequate connectivity. Um, But as the month goes on, as they consume that data, there'd then be a period of the month where they had none. All of the things that people used to do on their phones, they were unable to do for a proportion of the month. So that would have a huge impact on access to education, access to employment, but also access to things like entertainment. Much of our entertainment is online now. And if a household is just supported with one phone, then they're not able to kind of access that. What we're doing to address data poverty is looking at providing SIM cards to residents, or we have a number of different free fibre connections from broadband providers. And how have you arrived at this place in your life? When I was growing up, I had a passion for sport. And my earliest memory of what career I wanted to do was managing a sports centre. So used to literally play in, in the school football, basketball, rugby, athletics teams. And yeah, I just felt that would be a really interesting job. As I grew older, I wanted to be an accountant. And then that led me to economic development, which links to the career that I pursued. So this being head of Smart City Programmes is a demanding job. I think we've established that. How are you going about achieving the work-life balance that I think you referred to when you were speaking about Outlive? So it wasn't unusual for me to be online early and finish late and be in back-to-back meetings from early to late with very little time to actually move. And not moving can be really bad for your health. So what Outlive inspired me to do is actually make me realise how that was impacting my health and made me confident and comfortable to actually prioritise my well-being. So following reading Outlive, I set myself some goals. And one of my early kind of goals that I set myself was 
being able to perform chin-ups comfortably in the gym and I think I mentioned I want to invest equally in my health that I do my pension Mm -hmm. one of the things I decided to do was get a personal trainer and he really supported me to turn my goal into an action plan so I needed to lose a little bit of weight but also needed to build strength to enable me to perform that exercise he designed a program that was four days a week and since when I started to today there's only been a couple of weeks where I've been unable to do four days and that's typically due to holidays and things like that and I achieved those goals some time ago so I managed to perform 20 chin-ups I've lost 10 kilograms feeling stronger and what that translates to is the ability to perform better at work And another of your book choices, Invisible Women, that showed you have a concern for the welfare of women. And indeed, you're a member of Westminster Council's Women's Network. Why was it important for you to join that group? I guess joining the Women's Network was I just wanted to be a more active person in the conversation. And I felt I could amplify and support real change that will address pay gap. There are huge amounts of inequality when you look at the pay gap reports. And I guess that manifests not just in the take-home pay and the pay packets that people receive on a monthly basis, but it goes on to retirement as well. There's a retirement pay gap. One of the things that I looked at within the Women's Network was application process. When you apply for a job, one of the things that I looked at was instead of the salary range. We also have some context that encourages salary negotiation. That basically stemmed from some research I did around typically when men secure a role, they're more comfortable and confident to negotiate salaries. So that was a contributing factor to kind of the pay gaps that we have today. Something that I worked on was, can we change that to actively encourage women to negotiate? Yeah, very keen to be part of the solution. Are you a member of any other of the council's networks? I try to attend as many of these different networking events as possible. I'm more of a participant at other network events. I'm less involved in the the steering group. But I guess one of the reasons for reading my first book choice, Invisible Woman, was to understand unconscious bias. And I think it's really important to engage in these different networks and to help to understand different perspectives. I don't think you can ever eliminate unconscious bias, but you can minimise it by engaging and being part of the other networks. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about um, childhood and thinking of running a sports centre, we established that you were very keen on sport. And I think that wasn't it the case that you're love of football led to a rather lovely event for you is that the case I was part of the school's football team and I think for the first few years we had won the school's cup so we'd competed in the schools in where I'm from Colchester and then we competed in the neighboring district and we we won that for a couple of years and then that led to the school taking us on a trip we went over to Spain and did training with the Real Madrid team, uh, the youth team. And we had the opportunity to play against their youth team as well. Unfortunately, they were much better than us, but we had a fantastic experience playing a Spanish school out there. And against the Spanish school, we won. But yeah, Real Madrid were in a different league to us, but it was a, a great experience. Well, you did your best. 
We might have been playing against current Real Madrid players, I don't know. Although they're probably retired now because, yeah, there's not many footballers in their mid-30s. But the experience was magical, no doubt. Yeah. And talking about magical, is Westminster magical for you? Is Westminster special to you? I think it is. I would not have been in Westminster for eight years if I didn't feel that it was, a one, a fantastic place to work, but two also a fascinating city and I think Westminster has some really unique challenges and I think it's those unique challenges that really draw me to Westminster as an employer and a place to work. Super, thank you David. And now here's a reminder of the books we discussed, Prisoners of Geography, 10 maps that tell you all you need to know about global politics by Tim Marshall, Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Caroline Criado Perez. Outlive, The Science and Art of Longevity by Dr. Peter Attia with Bill Gifford. And finally, if you'd like to check out our library services, physical and online, you can go to www.westminster.gov.uk forward slash libraries. You can also sign up to our newsletter, which will drop into your email account every month. We're also on social media. And for events, you can go to Eventbrite and search for Westminster Libraries and Archives. My thanks to David Wilkins for taking part and to you for listening. And if you haven't done so already, perhaps you'd consider subscribing to this podcast to get the new episode as soon as it's available. Many thanks again, David, for taking part. Thank you for having me, Anne. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for all your choices and all your stories. And look forward to coming to the library soon. Fantastic. And until the next time, goodbye.